you're listening to Going Places. I'm your host, Kara Orbell. I initially started this podcast to learn more about the ins and outs of travel. Eventually, I discovered there's so much more to a person than where they go. My goal is to learn more from people who are going places. I've interviewed community leaders, entrepreneurs, veterans, authors, and experts who tell fascinating stories and give amazing advice. Thanks for tuning in, and I can't wait to see where you go. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Going Places. I'm your host, Kara Orbell, and today I have a very special guest. I'm interviewing Steve Mariucci. If you don't know Steve, he is from Iron Mountain, Michigan in the Upper Peninsula, and he has an incredible story. He coached nine NFL seasons with the San Francisco 49ers and the Detroit Lions, and now he currently is an NFL Network analyst, and I'm so excited to hear your story, dive into your career, and just discuss the mentality behind football and the mentality that's driven you throughout your life. So thank you so much for being here. Well, Kara, it's, this is going to be fun. I'm, I'm anxious. I'm glad to know you now and, and I'm anxious to do this. And, um, and even though you're not from the Iron Mountain Niagara area, your mom is right. And yep. so that makes you almost a youper like I am. <laughs> <laughs> Good to be with you. Thank you. I don't think I've ever been called a youper before, but I appreciate it. Okay. It is a compliment. I'm taking it as a compliment. (laughs) Let's talk. Let's start from there. What was it like growing up in the UP? It was awesome. Um, Iron Mountain is the capital of the UP. Okay. So (laughs) we, um, you know, it's a small town. The, The town is getting smaller and smaller. You know, my dad, um, my dad actually came there from Italy. My dad was born in Italy, but his family chose to settle in Iron Mountain. And geez, the high school, when my dad graduated from Iron Mountain was like 181 in their graduating class. And my, my class was about in 1973 was like 150 plus. And now, now they're, I don't know, 70, you know, it's getting smaller kids are moving away uh, you know they're going off to college and they're moving away to work they're going to Chicago and they're going to downstate Michigan and wherever and uh, but I will tell you um, if I had to do it all over again I would do it exactly the same way in Iron Mountain Michigan small town where you're kind of raised by the village and everybody knows everybody and um, it, it's a blue collar kind of a town where people learn how to work and contribute and earn their keep and uh, good schools. And uh, I just, I just love it. I get back there as often as I possibly can and I have so many friends and classmates and relatives there. Uh, love it. That's awesome. Tell me how did growing up in the UP impact your abilities as an athlete did it kind of give you that grit from coming from a blue collar area did it impact your athleticism in any way yeah there were pros and cons um you know when you grow up in small towns and compete against small towns um the competition isn't the same as growing up in a a metropolitan area where there are a lot of athletes and a lot of competition and and people to push you and, and you can compare yourself. If, you know, if I, if I grew up in Los Angeles, um, you know, I, I would be a, just a small fish in a large pond, you know? And, and so when you, when you grow up in a, in the UP, 
um, you know, you, you have a chance to excel in your own little way and um, gain some confidence that way and you, you learn how to work. I mean, I, gosh, I remember, you know, track season in the UP. Well, the first three weeks is running on the streets, jumping over puddles because there's still ice and snow on the roads. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's not the same in other cities in the South where they can train year round in good weather. It's not the case in, in the UP. And, and so um, we, maybe we didn't have, maybe we didn't have all the facilities either sometimes <clears throat> um, that other cities might have. Um, but, but, what we had is we had coaches that were so, you know, dedicated coaches that were very uh, committed that would push you and get the most out of you. And, and so that those are life lessons that, mm -hmm. Hey, you know, doesn't matter where you're from or how big your school is or how big you are. And you can, you can always work to your maximum and, and give it everything you got, whether it's in baseball or football or school or whatever that is. And so, you learn, you learn those lessons growing up in the UP. You get up at six o'clock in the morning, shovel your driveway so you can get to school because you just have to do that sometimes yeah. <laughs> and, and get a job so you can help, you know, uh, in addition to sports, you know, or, or earn, your, earn your way and, and help out your family. So it's kind of a, a good way of growing up. You learn, you learn some things that benefit you later. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I know you grew up with Tom Izzo. What was it Ooh. like having Ooh. that? <laughs> what was it like having that relationship and being kind of two powerhouses in one school? So I hated Izzo when we were growing up because I went to the Catholic school on the north side, Immaculate Conception, and he went to the public school on the west side, Central, and we just competed against each other all the time in Little League baseball, Little Football, you know, the fifth grade basketball, and we just hated each other because he was their guy down there, and, and, and you know, I was from the, the Italian Catholic school up over there, and... Um, and so we didn't really become friends until high school because there's only one high school. Right. And so all of a sudden we're teammates and we had no choice <laughs> to other than be friends. Right. And, you know, we ended up to be the captain of uh, track and basketball and football together. In fact, we lost every coin flip in football our senior year. <laughs> I don't I, I'm blaming Izzo, but, um, <laughs> But then, you know, we, uh, we kind of looked at life the same way. I think, you know, we <clears throat> tried to just work our butts off all the time and stay out of trouble. And, you know, it, you know, we, we, we even took a tour to colleges together um, to just to try to find out where we wanted to go to school because we were going to go together. We were joined at the hip and, um, ended up, of course, at Northern Michigan and lived together there for seven years because I think that's how long it took him to graduate. But um, so we, you know, we were, uh, we know each other's secrets. Um, we, uh, we pushed each other. We, uh, you know, we, on my 16th birthday, he came over and with a, with a bottle of seven up, he goes, hey, let's have a drink. Okay. So, you know, and, and so we just kind of have similar philosophies and we were both lucky to have great parents um, who kept track of us, you know, and, and uh, came from families that were similar. And, but like I said, it didn't start off that way. 
started off like, I hate your guts, and so, and, um, <laughs> and, and you know, we talk all the time, and, and uh, so I, in fact, I just talked to Lupia's wife like an hour ago, um, <laughs> but I, I admire the guy because he, uh, he's done so well for so long over there at Michigan State, I, and I took a different path because I bounced around from team to team, you know, trying to move up the ladder from college to pros and moved my wife 18 times. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Wow. Harry, don't marry a guy who's going to move you 18 times, right? It's just too much, too hard on the wife. (laughs) Babysitters and pediatricians and you name it, right? And so um, he was lucky enough to stay in one place for a long, long time. You know, there's pros and cons to it because I got to see the world. He sees Lansing. But um, (laughs) I'm really proud of him. He's really something. Hall of Famer. Yep. Yeah, that's great. Tell me, what was it like at Northern Michigan? I know from what from how the story goes, there was a losing record when you got there and you helped bring the team to be the 1975 national champions. For- so, yeah, well, I you know we went from Kara 0 and 10. We lost every single game. And that's not before I got there. That was, I was on that team. I was just a freshman and I played a little bit and mop up here and there. Um, and then the next year we won the national championship. Now, let me just tell you this, that, that I mean, they made a documentary on it already and they're in the process of trying to figure out how to make a movie out of it. It's going to be like better than Rudy. And so, <laughs> because, because it never happened before or since it's never happened where a team was winless and won the national championship the next year it i had my researchers at the nfl network look through history and they studied all the major pro sports men and women studied all of ncaa sports men and women all naia sports men and women it's never happened before, okay? So it's, uh, you ought to make a movie of it. In fact, if it happened today, you'd probably get investigated because it's like, wait a minute, how did this happen? But um, but I think, you know, we the 0-10 season was, you lost a bunch of close games and the young team. And then, of course, they went out and got a Buck Nystrom um, and got some transfers in there from bigger schools like Central Michigan and Michigan State and got some junior college kids. So the roster, the team got better too. And then we just happened to win every game, many of them close, Mm. many of them probably divine intervention. You know, you gotta be a little bit lucky sometimes, right? To succeed, it does, it's not all perfect. And so, um, but it's a heck of a story. It's, it's, uh, we're pretty proud of it. You know, when we have our reunions, from, that was a 1975 team, our class reunion or team reunion, man, we can still kind of really feel good about it because it's just, it's like, you know, whoever having an alumni gathering, you didn't do what we did. All right. And so <laughs> maybe it wasn't at the power five level. It was division two. Mm-hmm. It was, it was a good division two back then because there was only division one and two, all the division one double A teams were in our division. You know, we, beat Boise State and beat Delaware and Central Michigan and Eastern Michigan and Western Kentucky, all those schools that are up at higher levels now. 
um, that was who our, our league was, you know, and our competition was. So, yeah, we're kind of proud of it. That's great. So as quarterback, did you have any kind of mindsets as a leader on your team when you were the quarterback? What was going through your head in terms of leadership and in terms of leading the team? So <clears throat> it doesn't happen as soon as you become the quarterback mm. because you have to earn that title, a leader or a captain or somebody they count on because, <clears throat> excuse me, at first I was just trying to earn the job. I mean, I, I wasn't the starting quarterback. I wasn't, I wasn't Jack squat. I wasn't the, I wasn't the guy. I, in fact, in fact, in fact, I wanted to quit. Okay. I'm just telling you right now, you maybe you don't know this in your notes, but when I was first up there, my first year, when I redshirted, I, I decided I don't like football. I go, this is probably not for me. Izzo and I went up there, he walked on and I got some tuition money because the head coach knew my dad. I think that's Ray Drake. He gave me, he gave me a partial little scholarship. And I, um, so we weren't heavily recruited or anything. And when I went up to training camp, I went, I said, you know what? I'm like seventh on the list here in the depth chart. Um, I don't really need football. I don't like football. I want to go home. I had a girlfriend. I was homesick, all that baloney. And um, I called, <laughs> I called my, my mom and dad and I said, hey, uh, school hadn't started yet. You know, it's training camp. I said, you know what? I, 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 have been thinking about this. I don't, I don't want to do this. I, I just want to come home. And my dad said, okay, um, just, just wait right there. I'll be right up. And it's only 70 miles away from Iron Mountain to Marquette. Right. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I had that suitcase, that old suitcase where you had to pretty much tape it shut. Otherwise, you and I was sitting on the curb waiting for my dad to come up because I'm getting out of here, man. I mean, I was like escaping. And here he comes, pulls up in his car and he says, OK, take that bag up in your room. Let's go talk. So mm -hmm. I went, oh, I thought I was going to get in the car, you know. <laughs> so he, he brought me back to my dorm room and he says, OK, talk to me. And I said, Dad, I want to come home. I, this is not for me. I don't I don't I don't like football anymore. And he says, okay. He says, uh, if we go talk to your coach, what will your coach say? I go, I don't know. I don't care. I, I, I just, this is my decision and I'm just not feeling it. And he says, let's go over and talk, talk to the coach. Cause he wanted to hear if I was doing badly or good or trying or what. And Muff Sandona, who was from the UP was one of the assistant coaches. And in, in, anyway, long story short, he said, why don't you just stick it out for another day? Just one, give me one day, you know, we've, we've given you all this attention and then you've been here and you've played football for a while and just give it another day. And I caved in and I said, okay, fine. Another day, another day. And I'm, and I survived the day. And then he's, then he says, give me, give me to the weekend. Let's go to the weekend. You know what? The students are going to come back on campus and school's going to start here soon. And, you know, maybe you'll look at it differently. Give me to the weekend. I said, okay. Okay, so before you know it, the one more day turned into one more weekend and turned into one more week. And it was, it was like, all right, now school's starting. It's, 
I, you know, I, all right, I'll stick it out, you know, cause I should stay in college. I wanted to drop out of school too. I didn't want to, I didn't know what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Anyway, a long story short is I did stay with it. I redshirted. I didn't play, but I, I stayed on the team and I don't know what would have happened, Kara, if I, if, if my dad would have caved in, mm-hmm. if my dad was like, okay, son, I hear you. Come on home. Mom will be happy. If he would have done that, I have no idea where I would be right now. I have no idea. Wow. He knew me better than I knew myself because he knew I loved football, right? I had had sports. I loved it all the way up. And after being in training camp for two weeks, he said to himself, there's no way my kid can change his mind this quickly. There's just no way. This is not him. Mm-hmm. He knew me better than I knew myself. And he found a way to convince me to stay. And sometimes I think of when we help our kids make decisions, you know, and yeah, I know there's formative years where you're, you know, from ages one to seven and you got to teach kids discipline and all these things and, you know, some good habits and, Yes, that's true. But there's formative years when they're in high school, too, and when they're in college, too. And we're thinking about, you know, there's bigger decisions to make than what lollipop you want at the circus. It's like what major you're going to have in college. Who is your boyfriend or girlfriend? What do you want to be in life? And sometimes your parents have a good idea. Sometimes, like I said, they know you maybe better than you think you know yourself right now. Because they're not, they're not as emotional um, as you might be. And um, it, it was a good life lesson for me. I'm, I'm so glad my dad was, he didn't cave in. I see parents cave in. Okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe I have to sometimes, you know, kids crying, throwing a tantrum and you okay, I'll give you the candy. No, sometimes you got to do what's right and, and be right. tough, tough love, right? Love is a form of discipline. And mm-hmm. so, um, that was very impactful, obviously, in my, in my life because it affected my career. Yeah. That's a great lesson. Just the fact that as a parent, your dad didn't let you quit and he was like, stick it out one more day. Is that the best piece of advice he's given you? Yeah. You see that? That's him. Wow. I didn't mess with him because he was a, uh, uh, after World War II, Veterans Day today, he went to Michigan State on the GI Bill and and uh, boxed and wrestled. So n- nobody messed with him, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, so he gave me a lot of lessons, a lot of lessons. I mean, he, would, uh, he, he was a boxing coach. He's in the Wrestling Hall of Fame in Michigan, and he uh, – taught me how to wrestle and taught me how to box. And, and really that was, my brothers ended up wrestling. I ended up playing basketball with Izzo cause it was, <laughs> fun. but um, he wanted us to be able to defend ourselves, you know, hmm. and uh, he would kick our butt, man. And with those boxing gloves, I still have them. You want to see them grow. <laughs> and, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> so a lot of lessons. I mean, that's part of parenting is give your kids some, example give your kids some advice but teach lessons Mm -hmm. 
That's great. Let's talk a little bit more about your career because you, you jumped around a lot, like you mentioned, but when did you know that you wanted to become a coach? So my dad was a coach. So my dad was a wrestling coach at Kingsford high school. (laughs) You know, Niagara is a suburb of iron mountain in Kingsford. It's right there. Okay. And, and so he, he, after he got done wrestling at Michigan state, he ended up coaching down in Lansing, but then he wanted to come home after he got his, uh, all his masters and worked towards his doctorate and the whole thing came back to the UP and he started the wrestling program at Northern Michigan university and the high schools in the UP. They still have a Ray Mariucci invitational tournament. (laughs) And, um, so essentially he got it all rolling. And um, so I would watch him coach. Obviously my dad and my mom were the biggest influences that I had growing up, but the others were my other coaches. They were my, my little league coach, Larry Barkle. Um, it was, it was George Gusick, my high school football coach and Dick Allen and Gordy LaDuke and these Tom Clark and the guys that, that, influenced me to stay on the straight and narrow and learn how to train and learn how to work. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to, I wanted to be like them. So that's when I decided, gosh, I got my dad, I got all these other people I, I idolize. Well, that's what I want to do. That's what Tom Mizzo and I went into secondary education and we thought we were going to be high school coaches mm-hmm. and um, that in Meyer Mountain or somewhere in the UP. That's kind of what we thought we would do. We were getting ready to do that with our, with our major and with our training and everything. And then we were just lucky enough to get opportunities in college that mm-hmm. took us elsewhere. But, but we learned at a early age that the people that we wanted to be like were our coaches. Hmm. When did you set your sights on coaching D1 and then coaching in the NFL? When did that like click for you? It, it, it was a gradual thing. It didn't like click. I, I It was, okay, so I want to coach. So I'm going to need to graduate. And then I wanted to get my master's degree just to have that for <laughs> secondary education. <clears throat> so I could coach high schools or junior colleges and may not need it in college, but it's good to have. And so I got that. And then, and then I got, I got hired at Northern Michigan. Okay. So I, 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 low man on the totem pole, you know, make $8,000 a year and get the coffee and everything else. But, um, so you got to find out if you love something or not, you know, I mean, it's kind of like dating. I mean, you got to try it. You got to try it and you got to see if you like it and like the hours and you like the grind. And if you like the pressure and you, or do you hate it? It's like, no way I'm doing this stuff. I'd rather paint. I mean, do, do something <laughs> else. You know, you got to find out. So I, we didn't know if we wanted to be a pro coach or a college coach. We, we wanted to find out if we like coaching mm-hmm. and, and, and so and then Tom Izzo did the same thing. You know, he was at Northern. We lived together. It's like, what do you want to do? You want to coach? Yeah, let's coach. Okay. So then, and then he, you know, he, he, his first job was at Ishpeming High School. You don't even know where that is. And, <laughs> but it was a one-year deal. Then he got hired back at Northern. So we were coaching together at Northern. And, and, um, and it got to be like, hey, we love this stuff. We love it. We'd spend the whole night. We'd spend all-nighters coaching and getting ready and you know reports and this and film study and everything we're just addicted to it 
And so that's when you kind of start deciding that, hey, I like this arena that I'm in. Maybe it can, maybe I can step up into a larger school or, mm-hmm. or, or a bigger responsibility somewhere else. And we'll just see, but, but, but learn how to do it first. Find, find out if you're going to like the hours, mm-hmm. find out if you're going to like the grind, um, the responsibility, the recruiting, you're on the road a lot and, and then, and then make those decisions as you go. That's good advice. So do you think being a coach, I like to ask my guests what their purpose is in life. Do you think <clears throat> being a coach, being a leader is your purpose? I don't know what my purpose is, but I coach as a teacher. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I was, I think I benefited from majoring in secondary education because coaching is teaching. Parenting is teaching. <laughs> um, so my purpose in life, you know, I, I just always just wanted to find something that I love, not something that I like or something that I can put up with because too many people have jobs that they can take it or leave it. You know, they're always looking for something better and, and which is nothing wrong with that. Um, but sometimes, you know, sometimes you, you, you earn a paycheck and, and that's good enough. And, and, and you don't love it. Hmm. I happen to love it. I love going in. I love going in early. I love staying late. I love the competition. I, I love the challenge. You don't like losing, but you know that's part of it, right? You don't like the issues that you deal with, kids flunking out of school or, you know, or getting in trouble or whatever there is. You know, some of that are, you know, there's, it's not all a bed of roses, but it's part of the deal. It's part of the big picture. And, and if you love that challenge, then, then you got something there. And, and so some days I feel like I've never worked a day in my life uh, because I, I get so energized by going in. Mm-hmm. And, and luckily I, I feel that way in television. Now. I've been 16 years with the NFL network and I, I can't wait to fly down to Los Angeles every week and, and wow. hang up with my guys in, in television because, and there's a lot of prep to it all, but, but, you know, it's okay. You learn how to work, don't you? And, and uh, that's what you're supposed to do. And, and uh, so I, my purpose was just to do the best I can in whatever it might be. And whether it's coaching in high school or college or the pros or television or whatever that is, do the best you can. And, and uh, cause we all can't be the best at something. All we can be is the best we can be. And so if you strive for that and you don't feel sorry for yourself when it gets tough, then, then, then maybe you got a chance to enjoy it. When did your love of football peak? Was it as a coach, a player, or an analyst? Hmm. Hmm. So you, you know what, Kara, you're not comparing apples and oranges and bananas here because <laughs> playing is one thing. <laughs> coaching is a different thing in analyzing it. I haven't been booed in 16 years. Okay. Doing television. All right. So it's different than coaching. Right. That you know of. That I know of. <laughs> and so, um, but it's all the same arena. It's all the same topic. It's all the same sport. And it's kind of silly because I, I just reflect back to the first thing we talked about. My dad talking me into staying with football. My entire 
career earnings, okay? From earning a scholarship in college to being paid by colleges and pro teams for 30 years of coaching to talking about football in six for 16 years is all football. Everything's football. Yeah. And, and like I said, if, if he, if he would have let me come home, I would be talking about something different. Don't know what it would be really. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> yeah, I, it's uh, I love playing. You love playing when you're winning. You don't love, I hated playing when I was own 10, when we were own 10, I loved playing when we were national champs. I mean, but it, it can't be, it can't be just about W's and L's. It, it can't be that. It's gotta be about the, the, the grind. It's gotta be about the journey. It's gotta be about the calendar year of training and, and uh, preparation and going through all the ups and downs. Right. It's if you, if you don't enjoy that, if you can't deal with that, uh, then it's time maybe to get out. That's, that's one of the reasons I think here I got out of coaching because, and I coached for 30 years and in, in the national football league, mostly the wins, the wins were just a relief. It, this is how it got to be. This is when I start thinking, ah, oh boy, maybe there's something else for me right now because the wins were just a relief who I survived another week. Mm-hmm. Uh, the losses were just too devastating for me. I, I didn't, I, I, I was having a hard time handling losses and, and to a point where they didn't balance each other, you know, um, the losses were 20 times worse than, than a win. And so then you got to start thinking, Hmm, um, <laughs> maybe, maybe be an analyst on television or something. I, I've had a lot of chances to go back into coaching at college and pro level since I, since I left the lions and many chances. And I've just, here's what I've done. Here's another, write this down. This is another lesson for you. When you, maybe it's most careers, uh, but in coaching career, I find this to be true that when you're trying to climb the ladder and, and, and why Izzo Izzo stayed at Michigan state and he he climbed the ladder there. He's, you know, he's, he got there living on somebody's couch and then he worked his way up to be, the head coach that's in the hall of fame, but in one place, I had to move from, from Northern Michigan to Cal state Fullerton to Louisville to get a uh, better title and pay to, to the USFL to try to get some pro experience to then the league folded then to go to USC and then they got fired and I had to go to the Rams as the peon coach quality control, but I got good experience, worked for nothing. Got, I got lunch. That's what I got lunch. And, and then my wife was one baby and pregnant and, but I was working for nothing. Why? To gain some experience in the NFL. And so those things add up, but they require you to be a nomad. You move, you move your family and it's across country working from Florida to Michigan to Wisconsin to Kentucky to California, you name it. Um, but um, where was I going to go with this? So you, you just, it's just a matter of, of being able to deal with it. Do you love it all? You love the big picture. There's, there's ups and downs with everything, right? With relationships, with jobs, with weather, there's ups and downs, right? You got to go through it. Um, but anyway, when you're climbing the ladder, you make professional decisions. Mm-hmm. Okay, if I take this next job, and you Generation Zers and you Millennials out there, you got you, you're the CEO of your own career. 
essentially. You're going, okay, I'm going to, this is what I want to do. I want to try it, but maybe it's only for a year or two. Then I'm going to try this. Then I'm going to do that. And then maybe I change my mind and I'm going to try that. And that's okay. That's okay. Um, sometimes those things require moving, relocating from Chicago to Huntsville, Alabama. I mean, you, you never really know, right? So you make professional decisions growing up. How will this help my career? Is, will it make me happier? Will it make me more money? Will it, you know, but when you get old, like me, later on in my career, after coaching for 30 years, you don't make professional decisions as often. You make family decisions. Mm -hmm. You make family decisions. So it, because it doesn't just affect me and moving to go get a, a raise over there on the other side of the country. It affects my kids. It affects mm -hmm. my wife. It affects my everybody, my brothers and sisters and my routine and, and their schools. And so every time I had an opportunity to go, whether it was to the Atlanta Falcons or the Washington or, or anywhere, I would circle my family up. All right, we're going to vote. We're going to vote. Do we want to go to Atlanta? No, 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 no. Okay. Okay. I guess we're not going. So <laughs> You make family decisions when you get older and when you have more people with real lives. Little kids don't care. They, they, can, go, they can go eat a popsicle whether they're, when they're five years old, whether you're in Michigan or Florida, <laughs> they don't care. But when they're in high school, look out. They care, right? Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's one thing that making those family decisions are really important as everybody kind of matures and grows up. Yeah, that makes sense. When you were coaching in the NFL, you coached many people who have ended up in the Hall of Fame. Brett Favre is my favorite, being a Packer fan. But did they do something different mentally, just work ethic-wise, that you noticed when you were coaching such a high level of football? Yeah. Um, yeah, nine Hall of Famers. <laughs> I mean, from – Brett Favre, Jerry Rice, I think. Jerry Rice, Steve Young, Chris Dolman, Terrell Owens, Rod Woodson, Kevin Green. I mean, you know, it's just on and on. I, I was, I was around Reggie White. I, I didn't coach him. He wasn't my guy. Um, he would come over for my for dinner at my house with his kids. But anyway, um, but you know what? They're all different. All those people are different. Trust me, I, Brett Favre and Steve Young are two different human beings, all right? I love them both dearly. They are total opposites yeah. in so many ways. One is from, from Kill, Mississippi, country bumpkin. One is from Greenwich, Connecticut, who's in Palo Alto right now, who, who passed the bar exam when he was playing, He's, and, and they're just different. But they sh all these guys, though, share different they share some qualities that are similar mm. they are really driven okay so you might say well every everybody wants to win everybody wants to win yeah everybody likes to win mm -hmm. but not everybody is willing to pay the price to win okay to prepare to win some people like winning and like the money more than they like the preparation and the grind and the work and all of these guys, Jerry Rice was the hardest working guy I ever saw in my life. 
in my life in any sport. He was obsessed. He was obsessed with training and running and working out way more than you, you should. You know, these new, these new fangled doctors and trainers now will say, we need rest days. We need this. And that. <laughs> Jerry Rice never rested a day in his life. I mean, and he was already on the top of the mountain. He was already the greatest, but he trained like he was a, like he was a, somebody trying to prove himself to earn a scholarship at Mississippi Valley state. I mean, and so, so these, the good players, when they're your hardest workers, cool. Then you got something. Then you got something. Then that equals somebody that really produces on the field that, that equals leadership because people want to be like that. They see how it's done. Um, it, it, it adds into winning. It adds into the culture of your team, the whole thing. And some teams have those kind of guys and some teams don't. Hmm. Now, all, not all the teams I've been on have those great leaders, which is how it goes sometimes, right? But I was fortunate to, to have these guys. And, and the other thing is, I, I, you know, I just saw Jerry three nights ago. And uh, I talked to Steve. I talked to all these guys. But so my son lives in Greenwich, Connecticut. So I right around the couple of blocks from Steve's old house where he grew up. So I, every time I go there, I feel, Steve, I'm at your house. Look at this house. Look at the, at, at the video. It's like, this is where you grew up? God. And then he texts back, yeah, that's where I learned how to ride a unicycle in the driveway. And then it's like, okay. But um, they're, they're guys, they're, they're good guys, but they're hardworking, driven guys that want to be the best they can be. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, gosh, it's a privilege to be around them because it's like Pavarotti. I mean, it's like the best at something. It's like, they're just like, wow, just love watching these guys huh. work, work at their craft. Does that influence you as an analyst, just watching people perform at their best and yeah, analyzing I mean, them? I mean, it's, if you ever go to a Broadway show or if you go to the Olympics or if you go to, you know, a, a performance, then, then it's, you're watching, you're watching the highest level of preparation and, and perfection. And so what happens though, what happens though, and it's not like a, a Broadway play where they're just up on a stage and there's no opponent, mm -hmm. there's no competition. It's just like, do your thing. This is where other great players are trying to do their thing and, and minimize you, you know? And so the competition is fierce. And uh, I'm just so happy football's back. I mean, we're full stadiums again, and America's obsessed with it, right? And uh, we need we need we need sport to get back to normal, don't we? Hmm. I like that competition is good. <laughs> yeah. What is your favorite season? Because you had the most memorable one in my research is your first year at the 49ers when you had <laughs> such an incredible record. But what to you is your favorite season of coaching? So when you first asked that, I looked out the window and I was going to say the fall, the autumn. <laughs> I love <laughs> that's during football season and the trees are changing color. I love it. Um, <laughs> so what's my favorite season? Besides fall. It's football season. So um, I don't have one. I don't think um, I I loved being the quarterback of Iron Mountain High School back in the day. I loved being the quarterback of our national championship team in college. I, I loved getting my first job 
with the Green Bay Packers, a team that I grew up loving. I can name you that whole team from 1966 and next 67. You know, I, I, I learned to idolize Vince Lombardi and I, and I know these guys, Jimmy Taylor. Can you see this? Yep. So that is her Batterly Hall of Famer, Willie Wood Hall of Famer, Lionel Aldridge. You know who that is? You know who that is? Is that you? It's me at nine years old. Okay? <laughs> nine years old getting That's autographs awesome. from those guys. And then when I got to coach there, I got to know these guys personally. Yeah. I, I was a personal friend of Bart Starr. He was my idol. I had my 60th birthday with Bart and his wife. And my wife, it was the best birthday of all time. And um, it's when he was in California here getting stem cell treatment. Mm. Um, but so some of those seasons were just, was just magical for me. I just love being a Packer, you know, and I used to be a kid like that in awe of the G on the helmet and now I'm coaching Barb. And, yeah. you know, the first, like you mentioned, the first year at the Niners was we won 14 games. That was a lot of fun. And that was really without Jerry Rice, he got hurt. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, it, and then there's some seasons I almost want to forget, but, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's all good. Overall, it's all good. Right. Hmm. I like that. That's so funny. That's your story is so cool because wherever you are, it seems like you're enjoying it and you put so much passion into it. And that's what really reflects in your whole career. Life's too short to worry about what you don't have or what ails you. You might as well dwell on the positive and, and uh, enjoy it. Enjoy life, right? Enjoy the people you're with and, and the things that you do or, or try to do something else, you know? Um, but I, I, I guess I grew up thinking, you know, the glass is half full, right? That's when awesome. you're a youper, when you're a youper, um, it wasn't like we lived in the Bahamas, okay? <laughs> it, was, it wasn't a vacation at the beach every day, um, but you learn to love the winters. You learn to love the, the springs and the summers and the fall and, and uh, you know. Anyway, I can't wait to get back there. I'm going back there next week. I'm going to be yeah. a youth for a few days. <laughs> Tell me about an organization that you, did you start Beacon House? No. So um, the Beacon House was started by Sula Galley um, probably 22 years ago, just a little house by the hospital, Marquette General Hospital. And she would, and the concept is like a Ronald McDonald house where Ronald McDonald houses are tied into children's hospitals. And so if you're, if you're, if your child is getting treatment at one of these hospitals, I was on the board here at Stanford, um, their Ronald McDonald house. Um, we, we just added another 60 rooms to their house. It's terrific. Um, but they have a children's hospital. Well, Marquette doesn't have a children's hospital. So if you're going to have a hospitality house, um, you got to, you got to do it yourself. You got it. You're not getting corporate support like from a McDonald's. Right. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, that house turned into a little bit bigger building because it was always full of people that needed to stay there while they were getting treatment in the hospital. Could be for anything, could be for cancer, could be surgery, car accidents, kids. I mean, just everything, everything, general hospital. Um, so they bought a building and, and then they came out, they came out, to ask me if I would help support it. And I thought, gosh, this is a terrific idea. 
And yeah, of course I'll support it. And then we did TV commercials, we did golf tournaments, we did things and TV. And well, that what happened was what happened was um, my mom ended up um, getting uh, treatment for cancer uh, there at Marquette General, and my whole family ended up coming in to the Beacon House um, and staying there. You know, we could have stayed at the hotels or whatever, but we wanted to all stay together and close to the hospital. You can walk back and forth and this and that. And um, so I, I had already been involved heavily with them. But once I stayed there and I saw all the, not just my mom and our family, but everybody else's family that were going through some really tough times. Some, some people come out of there very happy and joyful after survival. And some people don't have that same fortune. And, and so I went, this is, this is really something. And so I, I jumped in with both feet and more money and just more commitment. And what happened was the uh, Duke Life Point came in and built another hospital on the other side of town. Hmm. And so Market General was closed. So we actually ended up having to move from the old Beacon House and build a brand new one. Hmm. Awesome. And so it's been four or five years of fundraising for it now and doing all kinds of things. But we are now going to have our grand opening and December 15th for the Beacon House. And it is going to be the nicest hospitality house north of everywhere. It is <laughs> going to be spectacular. It's, I'm so proud of it. And, you know, and, and it's going to be called the Steve Marici Family Beacon House. And I've had so many of my friends uh, help me with money from Tom Izzo to Eddie DeBartolo to Steve Hurst and Brett Favre and, <laughs> and just teammates and, and friends and people that have never been to Marquette before, maybe never will go to Marquette, said, you know what, this is a great, great thing you're doing. Uh, count me in and, and uh, we're naming rooms after people and we're naming the wig salon um, after my mom because um, she spent, here, don't go away. <laughs> she spent last seven years of her life wearing wigs, right? And so that's my mom and her wigs. And <laughs> That's so sweet. And so then, then Brett Favre, Deanna, Deanna Favre, she beat breast cancer. So, so they're going to actually share the wigs along. We're going to give wigs to people who are, who are having chemo and lose their hair. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a big time place. And so anyway, we're having the grand opening um, uh, December 15th. And uh, if you want to put it out there, Kara, we're, we're always fundraising for this. There's, <laughs> always fun upbeaconhouse.org <laughs> upbeaconhouse.org if you want to help we would love that appreciate that but um, it's it's a it's a it was a, it's a new passion of mine because we've you know we've provided over 64 million dollars of free rooms already wow. and we're just getting started and like hundreds of thousands of free guest nights stayed and, and uh so when we go in there on the 15th we're actually going to stay there because this won't be open until after christmas mm -hmm. and we're going to bring our christmas pajamas and have a tree lighting ceremony and have christmas <laughs> carolers and eggnog and do the whole thing and uh you're invited and you're going to stay in the beacon house and try it out make sure make sure the water runs and so um we're really proud of it that's great that's an incredible story and i love the connection you have to it and 
the roots that you still hold in the UP. I think that's so powerful about your story. We had a, um, thank you. I, I, I made this, um, uh, uh, 501c3 at Marichi Family Foundation about, about 11, 12 years ago, I guess. Mm-hmm. And only because we were, we've always been involved in helping raise money for different things. And I just wanted to have a little bit more uh, control over it, but yeah, its own entity. And, and, uh, but, I, but I, what I did was I wanted to teach my kids philanthropy because mm. the only board members are my family. I, I don't have ISO. I don't have <laughs> Madden. I don't have my guys, right? All, you know, everybody, I don't because, and, and usually boards are, prominent people but i i didn't want to dilute it by adding anybody i my kids my wife and kids are in myself on the board and i want them to try to learn how to make decisions um not only make decisions as to what we're going to support but how to raise money too mm-hmm. you don't just do that and money falls from <laughs> you got to go raise it and yeah. um so like I've had a, a bocce ball tournament here for 23 years and you don't even know anything about bocce ball, but we just raised $500,000 at our last wow. event. And so, I mean, it's a big deal. And, yeah. you know, we give money to spend $100,000 to Special Olympics each year. And we, we support our police department. And I mean, this, it's a, it's a, you know, I, I want my kids to know how to raise money, how to decide to, support something you can't support everything so many awesome causes out there so many to choose from and they all need it but you gotta kind of wire into a few right and and uh so the 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 main thing we're doing is building this beacon house um we've had football camps for down syndrome kids for 16 years now and that's another one of my favorite things to do these kids are so awesome and uh, they just love football Oh, that's amazing. All right. I only have time for one more question. So it's a good one. I'm excited to hear your response. And I ask all of my guests this, but if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you not go? Not. (laughs) I will not say Niagara. Okay. (laughs) um, uh, I would not go. Gotcha. (laughs) I am. I am at a loss for words. I don't know where I would not go. Um, is this a trick question? No, you can answer it however you want. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know. I went to China and I don't want to go back. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know. I give up. What's the right answer? There is no right answer. <laughs> well help me out give me a multiple choice um people say like other cities or towns like i don't want to go to baghdad i mean what? No, i've gotten that one um baghdad i actually got china again once just because like i don't know it's an interesting place um the north pole antarctica is another good one the heat is one i got like the desert um nebraska <laughs> nebraska that's pretty weird um, yeah i don't know i i said china because i went there we my wife and i with another couple took a vacation there and we we had a terrific vacation with the beijing and, <laughs> and 
uh, Shanghai and in Hong Kong and different places, but there are some places there that are just so, so impoverished that it's and so dirty. And it's like, Oh my God, um, no English signed anywhere. I mean, you, we got canceled a flight and we went to the airport and there was, you, you get no help. You get everything Mandarin. It, it, it's just, it's, I don't know. It was just not fun. I don't want to go back there. Um, but it was interesting. Um, where would you go? Where would I go? Like to Italy? What? What do you mean? I don't know. It's well, your, I, your call. <laughs> well, I, I, I love, I love going back to Italy. I, my dad was born there. Okay. And, and so, um, so we're trying to see, I've been, I don't know, six times or something, but we're trying to see as much of Italy as we can. I wish, I wish I was a little bit better at speaking uh, a second language. Cause I, I just, I tried Spanish and Italian and they're supposed to be similar and they're really not. And, <laughs> and uh, I just, I just don't speak. My daughter speaks Italian. She spent her study abroad in Florence, but um, okay. I'm terrible at it. I know spaghetti and meatballs and that's about it for Italian. And, and, uh, but if you if you, you generation Zers want to get out and travel after you graduate, go to Italy, please. Ooh. It's just, I remember the first time, um, my four kids were still at home. Now they're gone and married and everything else. I, I said, all right, we're going on vacation in July. All right. All right. We're going to Italy. What? They thought they were going to go to the Bahamas or the Caribbean with a swimsuit on a beach or something like that for the week or 10 days. I go, no, we're going to Italy. Okay. And, and, um, they were kind of pouting about it because like, what's in Italy. And so, but by the time we finished the trip, they were so enthralled with the history and the, the knowledge of, I mean, and the architecture and the art and the food and everything that they said, if you ever, if you ever don't take us on a vacation back here, we will run away from home. They have, they just are obsessed with going back there and they've been back and we've been back and yeah. So give it a shot. That's awesome. That's good advice. Or you can go to the UP. That's <laughs> a great place to go. But, you know, it's not on the Fox River there, but it's up on Lake Antoine is where I'm from. Oh, yeah. And, oh, Marquette's on Lake Superior, big, big lake, Gitchy Gumi. And <laughs> um, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. God's I country. just camped in the Porkies. Did you really? Yep. Yeah. Any bear? No, but there was one at our, like, campsite. It was getting into the trash cans. <laughs> I'll, I'll be at a steel trash can a metal trash can yeah just, it was far from our campsite we were right on a cliff by lake superior oh my god yeah. that's awesome yeah <laughs> beautiful country yeah it's amazing in the fall i know how fall is your favorite season after being up there i know it i can't wait i i, I hope there's some leaves still on the trees <laughs> uh, next week no i don't there probably isn't i don't know they're falling pretty fast <laughs> yeah well, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you. you sharing your story and I'm so inspired by your career and everything you do. It's so cool. Well, thank you, Kara. Good to be on and good luck to you after you graduate and from St. Norbert's great school. I know people you. that have gone there and, and uh, Tom Izzo and I almost went there. We went and visited <laughs> Howie Colstead, you know, the name. And he, he was talking about his program and the whole thing. We almost ended up there, but of course the Packers have training camp there and, Mm-hmm. Been, been there many times yeah so say hello to my friends down there all and, right uh you know my counter yep yeah all right 
<laughs> he's from he's from well he's not from my he's from florence that's a okay. suburb. Okay. close enough mm-hmm. close yeah. enough all right. well, say hello to everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> that was my interview with Steve Mariucci. I hope you liked this episode of Going Places. I really enjoyed talking to him just because of his upbringing and his amazing career. He's so inspiring in how he loves his job every single day, and he's been through the most crazy career, but he still finds so much joy in the sport of football, which is great. If you liked this episode, I encourage you to check out my other interviews. I've interviewed community leaders, entrepreneurs, veterans, amazing human beings, and I encourage you to listen to their stories as well. They have so many good lessons, just like Steve, and I'm overwhelmed by the amount of wonderful stories Steve had to share today. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I can't wait to see where you go. Bye!